You may be seated. It is my privilege to introduce you, introduce to you this morning, uh, Darren Peachy. Darren has taken the role as CMC pastor. A lot of you knew Steve Swartz. Steve and his wife traveled around and were here often. And so Darren has taken that role upon Steve's uh, retirement. And so is new to this role, and him and his wife, Karen, are here this morning, and so we're pleased to have him here and share with us. So I want to pray for you, Darren, and then let you have it from there, all right? Let me pray. Father God, I thank you for my brother, Darren. Thank you for this role that he has taken on, and I pray that in that new role that he would be a blessing to many, uh, to myself and other pastors who uh, have the privilege of learning under his leadership, and I pray that as he leads and guides our conference in many different ways, I pray that the training he gives, the counsel he gives, would be honoring and glorifying to you. I pray now that you would speak through him to us from your word, and that we would learn and grow. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, good morning, Bethel. Bethel's a... An interesting place because as I look around the room, I'm seeing people from different places that are here. That there's only about one reason they can be here it's because it's getting warmer or warmer here, and uh, and I know you guys think it's getting cold here, but it's good to be here and and be a part of the body of Christ. And you know, we sang that first song about the bride being prepared to, to meet Jesus. and and I, I want you to think this morning for just a moment about being the bride of Christ. And I, I've just been loving this picture the Lord's been been laying on my heart recently about the church being the bride of Christ and how all of these things that we experience are part of being prepared to walk down the aisle and meet Jesus. And he's coming soon, as we sang. And uh, I don't know how you do weddings here in Florida, but every wedding I've been a part of as a pastor and my daughter's wedding, like as the pastor, you show up about a half an hour before and the ladies show up like 10 hours before. And there's all this, all these people looking from every angle and you're looking in the mirror and uh, yeah, every, every little thing is being checked out to make sure the bride is ready to walk down and meet her groom. And I love to think about us as a church, all these little refinings that we go through and the tweaking and uh, just all that we do is for one purpose, and it's to meet Jesus. And I trust that, that we can embrace embrace that, that tweaking that happens in our life and that, that uh, examining and learning and being uh, a part of a fellowship that encourages each other each other on. Sean mentioned that my, my title is Conference Pastor of CMC. Uh, there's other titles that I actually prefer. One is being a, a husband to Karen. Uh, that's my favorite title. Um, I'm a father. I like that title. We have two children. I'm a grandfather of six. I really like that title. Uh, I'm, a, I'm an ex-dairy farmer. I love to roam the mountains. Haven't seen too many of them to roam down here, but I enjoy spending time in the mountains. 
and um, and then a follower of Jesus, and of course, more recently, CMC Conference pastor. So I do bring you greetings from, from CMC, the network of churches that you're a part of, a network of churches that is commissioned to mature and multiply churches locally and globally. And, and that kind of a, a commission, that kind of a commitment is going gonna, is gonna to require being dedicated to discipling. It's going to require uh, calling and investing and risking with, with new leaders. It's going to require all of us, every one of us in the body of Christ to be Jesus in our communities, the places we live. In other words, caring for the broken and uh, hurting and the poor and being messengers of good news. And it will require doing things that may feel a little uncomfortable at times or may require us to go to places that feel not like home. Or maybe it will require us inviting new people into the family. And in other words, I would say all of that is about bringing the kingdom of Jesus here on the earth as it is in heaven. As you all know, when, when Jesus was teaching his disciples to pray, and we are his disciples, are we not? We are followers of Jesus. He said, pray that the asking that the Father's kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. And that means all of us, again, as Jesus' followers, are going to need to participate in filling the whole earth with the glory and the love and in representing our Father, our Creator. We're going to be all need to be image bearers of, of our Father. And so uh, I don't think Jesus would have taught his disciples to pray that way if that was some reality that wasn't possible, that his kingdom could come on earth as it is in heaven. So how does that happen? What does that look like in the daily living of life? And for our message this morning, I'd like to explore some of those questions. And so to give you just a little heads up, I'm going to talk about fruit this morning. And... I know when people think about Florida, they think about fruit. We're not going to talk about grapefruits and oranges and lemons and all kinds of other good things that, that people ask for up north when somebody comes to Florida. We're going to think about some other kinds of fruit. You know, fruit is, fruit is what? It's, a, it's an indication that something is moving towards maturity. And then the fruit is actually what? It's a seed. It's a seed for multiplication. And so as we think about spiritual fruit this morning, I want, to, I want us to think about how, how fruit is a sign that we're moving towards maturity. And then out of that, there's a, a seed that begins to bring multiplication. So let's pray together, and then we'll see what the Lord has to teach us. And I just say the worship team, I'm not finished yet, so sit tight. <laughs> let's pray. Lord, thank you for, for your word and how it teaches us and how it guides us and how it, it prepares us to meet you, Jesus, as we, as we digest it, as we internalize it, as we allow it to affect our lives. We thank you that, that uh, you are our righteousness, and because of you, uh, we can anticipate 
that wonderful, glorious meeting that we have when Jesus comes again. Thank you for your presence here among us this morning. And we just give us spiritual eyes to, to see and spiritual ears to hear what you would have us learn this morning. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't know when the, the last time that you read the Song of Songs is or, or heard a message preached, but that little interesting section of Scripture is where I'm going to start laying a foundation this morning for the message. And if you've ever read Song of Songs, and I'm sure many of you have, maybe we're not always sure what to do with it, but uh, it's, you know it's very descriptive, um, some beautiful language in there that, that easily captures the imagination. And my intent this morning is not to debate whether Song of Songs is an allegory of the love relationship between God and, uh, and Israel or between Christ and the church or simply the, the pure romance of a maiden's spontaneous love for her lover who is pursuing her. I don't know, Sean, have you ever preached from Song of Songs? You're not a very romantic, are you? <laughs> Greta, is he very romantic? <laughs> she's not answering. She's not touching that. <laughs> well, up in, up in PA, where, where Karen and I live, it's getting cold. The leaves are changing and falling, and uh, people are lighting up their fires. And uh, we're, uh, we're starting to sit on the couch in the evening and, and pull an afghan around us. And I know you guys are doing that here because it's down to 70 degrees now. But I just want you to, if you've got your spouse close to you, put an arm around her and just kind of snuggle in here for a minute. And we're just going to look at a couple things from Song of Songs. And I actually saw that in the, in the bulletin in your program there that there's like three anniversaries this week. Are any of those people here? No? Okay. Oh, back there. Okay. Well, you guys really need to tighten it up there a little bit. So let's, let's take a look at, at Song of Songs. There we go. We'll just start out here in chapter 1. Like I said, this is, this is in the Bible, so don't start throwing things at me. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, says the maiden, for your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume being poured out. No wonder all the other maidens love you. And so here she's, she's all excited about her, her guy. He's a good kisser. He smells like perfume. And she's even smart enough to see that all the other girls love him and are, are like excited about him. Uh, don't you just love this? Like, are you guys just starting to squeeze together a little bit here? Are you guys not romantic in Florida? It's too warm, okay. <laughs> Maybe we should go to another one. In chapter 2, like an apple tree among the trees of the forest is my lover among the young men. I delight to sit in his shade and his fruit is sweet to my taste. I'll admit it's the descriptive imagery that kind of has drawn me in here. Like an apple tree among the trees of the forest is my lover among the young men. 
I don't know about you all, but when I go for a walk, and this, again, I got I to gotta think Florida now because you have fruit trees everywhere. But if I go for a walk in the mountains in Pennsylvania and there's all these trees and, and off in the distance, I see one tree that has fruit hanging on it. What do I do? I go explore it, right? Like fruit draws us in. It captures our attention. We're, we get excited about fruit. Oh, that looks good. My, my son is a, is, a, is a dairy farmer, and once in a while I'll, I'll help him with the hay and things like that. And there's a lot to do, but if I'm, if I'm going around the edge of the field, we call these a fence row, and there's some wild raspberries growing, and they're just ripe, and they're, and they're dark, that dark purple-black. What do you do? You jump off the tractor, and you go grab some raspberries and stuff them in your face quick, and then you jump on and you keep going. And you've got black on your face, and you get back to the barn. They know you've been eating raspberries. But fruit is attractive, and it stands out in a, in a bunch of other green. When there's fruit on a tree, on a bush, it draws us in. And, and all of that has got me thinking about the church, about the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the family of God, the redeemed people. And it raised some questions for me. Is there a fruit on our tree? Is there a fruit on our tree? Is our fruit attractive? Is it visible for all to see? Is, it, is our fruit sweet? Is our fruit refreshing? Does our fruit bring life? I think those are some important questions we need to ask ourselves as the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. So a while back, some friends of Karen's uh, posted this on Facebook. I found them out eating grapes off the grapevine. Hashtag I couldn't find them. Hashtag check outside. Hashtag where the fruit is. See, even children know to go where there's fruit. Fruit is attractive. And it draws them. And people... Us, all of them who are hurting and broken and suffering or hungry, will be drawn to the kind of fruit that Jesus offers. And reading through the Gospel of Mark, I was struck again by the words of John the Baptist in Mark chapter 1. You know, John was out in the, in the countryside and outside of Jerusalem, and he was, he was preaching. And he was, a, he was a little bit of an eccentric preacher, probably, I'm probably kind of eccentric because I started in Song of Psalms, but anyway, uh, he was eccentric and he was preaching and he was, he was preaching a message of repentance and, and people were turning away from sin and in other words, they were, they were turning away from things that misrepresent the image and likeness of our creator. Because that's basically what sin is. All the things that misrepresent the image and likeness of our Creator. So John preached and, and people started repenting. And they, they began to turn from sin. They were going in a new direction. They were baptized by water. And, and people, even Gentiles, were being forgiven by God. And I just want to say this morning, don't ever lose the awe that a holy God forgives sin. 
Don't ever lose the awe of that. We've experienced that in our own lives. Don't lose the awe that a holy God would forgive sin. So anyway, this sounds like great preaching, doesn't it? People were, re- were repenting. Uh, it says all the people from the countryside and all the people from Jerusalem were coming out of the city to hear this great preaching. And I don't know, I'm guessing some of you may have been to, to the Jordan River. Anybody here ever been to the Jordan River? Yeah, a number of you. Can somebody tell me, I've never been there, can somebody tell me what the banks of the Jordan are like? Are they muddy? Are they sandy? Does anybody know? But I have this picture of so many people being baptized. They're all dripping on the sides of the Jordan River, and it just starts getting sop and wet and muddy along the Jordan River because so many people are being baptized in the Jordan. It's like this great baptismal, and revival's breaking out. Finally, after those long, silent years between the Testaments, God is, God is moving, and he's moving in people's hearts, and people are repenting. Boy, wouldn't we like for that to happen now? Yeah, we would. We would. But then in Mark chapter 1, verse 7, John the Baptist says something that I find to be really profound. It's like, it's like John just says, stop everything for a minute, folks. Stop, stop the baptizing, stop the repenting. I've got something I need to tell you. And this is what he says. He says, after me will come one more powerful than me. The thongs of whose sandals I'm not, I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. He says, I am baptizing you with water, but, but he, the one who's coming, the more powerful one, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The more powerful one is coming. The one who has more to offer than a message of repentance and baptism. Jesus will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Well, well, why is that such a big deal? Why is that better? Because the Holy Spirit and the person who trusts in Jesus is what? Where the fruit comes from. That's where the fruit comes from. Repenting is important. Going in a new direction is needed. But it's preparation for something better. It's preparation for a new fruit, for good fruit. That is sweet to the taste. A couple years ago, I was on this this journey with the word grace. Like trying to really understand, like, what what is grace? I mean, we use that word a lot. And I was on a, a short sabbatical, and I just spent some time just kind of wrestling with that. And I found... An old, an old uh, definition in a Strong's Concordance that has totally, like, changed how I how I view grace and and the definition was this: grace is divine influence in the heart that reflects in the life. So grace isn't just something we receive and it just stops there. It's divine influence from God, from Jesus, that comes into us and flows back out of us. And so as I think about a heart that 
like, like the people on the side of the Jordan there, a heart that is repentant and wanting to go in a new direction. If you have that kind of a heart, but, but no spirit, no divine influence, then it becomes this, this heart that is striving and it's tired and it's, it's, it's always pursuing righteousness but can never quite attain it. We sang about Jesus is our righteousness. It's his divine influence in us that begins to reflect in our life that brings about the fruit. But a heart without the Spirit, even if it's repentant, has trouble living out what Jesus asked us to do. Because the more powerful one came and poured out his Spirit on his bride. Does that make sense? A little bit? We'll keep going. So what are those fruits? We know those fruits, don't we? We hear them all the time. We talk about them a lot. Faithfulness and, and patience, or I prefer long-suffering because sometimes we have to suffer a long time for something, don't we? And peace and joy and gentleness and love and kindness, the fruits of the Spirit, the fruits of that divine intervention in our hearts that begins to flow out of the followers of Jesus. If you have your Bibles this morning, I invite you to, to turn to Galatians 5, which is our main text this morning. I know this is very familiar, but as the church, as the bride of Christ who's being prepared, I think it's worth a look this morning. I think I'm going to start in chapter 5 of Galatians, verse 13. Paul says this to the church. You, my brothers, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he uses some really descriptive language. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Do we realize that Paul is talking to the church? He's talking to the church. I get this picture of a pack of hyenas ripping into some prey on the the plains of the Serengeti. He says, church, if you keep on biting and devouring each other, Watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. I mean, that's a horrible picture to think about the bride of Christ biting and devouring each other to the point that we destroy each other. Is that a terrible picture? I hope we think so. And then he goes on. So I say, live by the Spirit, verse 16, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other. There's a tension there. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Verse 19, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious, he says. Well, why are they obvious? Let's just talk about that for a second. Because... They're self-gratifying. They're about self-protecting and self-preservation. They're self-focused. And 
That's pretty obvious when we get down to it. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, and drunkenness, and orgies, and any kind that he sums everything up, he missed, and the like. He says, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, why not? Because all of those things do not represent the image and likeness of our Creator, of our Heavenly Father, the one who redeemed us. They all downgrade other people. Don't they? If you start looking at that, they all put other people down. They all hurt other people. Other people who were created in the image and likeness of God. And then we will not inherit the kingdom of God. We will not enjoy the freedom and the peace that comes from being part of the kingdom of God. That shalom, that wholeness. I know in my own life, when any of those things start coming out, I'm not feeling peace. I'm not feeling freedom. I'm not feeling wholeness. Um, you know, I remember, like I said, I used to be a dairy farmer. And um, I remember one, one time, it was in the fall, and we have a feed room, which is basically where the silos and everything we're bringing in from the harvest all goes to that one spot. And then we mix feed for the cows there. And um, so in the fall, we spend a lot of time in that area. And there's two apple trees right there by the feed room. And I tend to eat a lot of apples in the fall because you're kind of rushing around. Daryl just wrapped up his, his harvest and, you know, it's, it's busy. Harvest is a big deal. It's important. And so I would eat off those two apple trees in the fall. And way up on this one red delicious tree, there was this one beautiful-looking red apple that I kind of got fixated on. And it was getting late in the fall, and, and I kept watching that apple, and sometimes I'd go out, and the tree wasn't fit to climb. And sometimes I'd take a broom or a shovel out there and try and jump up and knock that thing down, and it was too high and way out on the end. And, and finally, about all the, tree, or all the apples were on the ground or, or picked, but that one apple was still hanging there, and it just was beautiful. I don't know, maybe you guys think about like an orange that way. Finally, one day, I'm like, I want that apple. And I pulled my tractor up to that tree, climbed out on the hood of the, of the tractor, and kind of judged things a little bit, and I took a flying leap. And when my hand closed around that apple, I knew that I had been gupped. Because evidently the bees had eaten the middle of that thing out, and the only thing there was the skin and the stem. And I'm thinking while I'm heading for the ground, this was really stupid. I was about 20 years younger, too. And I realized what I thought I needed so bad was only an empty shell that had no nourishment in it. There was nothing good in it. 
and I had been fooled. And that's the way it is of those things of the flesh so often. We think we want them so bad. We need them. We can't make it without them. And we finally get our hand on them. There's nothing there. And we know in an instant we've been fooled. Hold on, church. Paul keeps going. Verse 22. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit, remember the one, the more powerful one was coming that John the Baptist talked? He's going to pour out his Spirit on the church. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Well, why wouldn't there be a law against them? Because all of them represent the image and likeness of our Creator. They build up other people. They build up other image bearers. They don't tear down. Verse 24, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And then Paul kind of wraps this section up with this kind of funny verse. He says, Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Well, why, why does he say that? Because these things come from God. God knows what his church needs. He knows what his bride needs. And so why would we be conceited about the things we do well? Why would we be envious of someone else when these fruits come from Jesus, not from us? Does that make sense? Church, we want and we need to be a tree that bears good fruit. Or I would say we're not the church. We will be known by our what? You don't talk back to Sean, do you? (laughs) We'll be known by our fruits. Well, many of us know this, don't we? We've heard this for a long time. Even if we're new believers, we soon, somebody starts talking to us about the fruits of the Spirit. So why, my question is, why do we react and respond to life and each other with alarming regularity? More like the Apostle Paul's description of living out of the flesh or the selfish nature and biting and devouring each other. Why do we do that? and miss out on the shalom, the wholeness, and peace, the salvation. And salvation just simply means to live wide open and and free. You know what what it's like to live wide open and free? Kind of not all. We miss out on that so often. Why? Why when we know better, when we know different, we know what the Scripture says, Why do we do the other? Well, maybe we can get a glimpse of why from the word of the Lord through the prophet Isaiah in chapter 1, verse 5. God is talking to his people, his chosen people, the people that he had rescued from slavery and the bond of Egypt, the people that that he had, had experienced the covering blood at the Passover as they crossed the Red Sea, the, the baptism of crossing the Red Sea, 
And they, the people that had experienced all the goodness and the blessing of the promised land. Jerusalem had lost its way and was living out of the flesh, so to speak. And this is what God told them through the prophet Isaiah. He says, your whole head is injured and your whole heart is afflicted. Your whole head is injured and your whole heart is afflicted. In other words, both your thinking, your understanding is injured and your heart, which is the seat of our belief system, is afflicted. Proverbs 4.23 says that your heart is the wellspring of life. It's the engine that drives your train. It's the place where you live from, where you respond or react to what's happening around you. And God says to his people, your, your thinking, your understanding is messed up. And so is your heart. In January of 21, I guess about 10 months ago, we were uh, doing some projects close to our house there where my son feeds his heifers. And we were doing a lot of concrete work and, and tearing things up. And I had an excavator there one day, uh, track hoe, and he was reaching over here. He had a thumb on his, his bucket. And he was pulling out fence posts, you know, 20 feet over this way, and then he would swing them and throw them through the, through the air the other way, about 30 or 40 feet, or as far as he could throw them. Of course, I was well out of the way. But all I know is that I was over there, and I never saw it coming, but one hit me on the back of the head. And the only thing I knew is everything went black, and I remember having this thought, this must be what it's like to die. I'll just let the story rest there. I'm here. Um, About a week later, other guys came to start finishing up the project. And there was rebar swinging around, and just guys were working, and just stuff I know how to do and have been around. I couldn't get far enough away. Like a piece of rebar would swing. Man, I was ducking and out of there. And then about another week later, there was this little sapling tree that was in the way when we were ready to build fence. And I went went and got my chainsaw. I've cut so many trees like that in my life. And I walked up to the foot of that tree, and do you think I could cut that tree down? Finally texted my son. I said, Chase, you're going to have to come cut this tree down. I can't cut it. Why? I, I was injured. I had, I, I had been injured. And what I knew was not what I was doing. Does that make any sense? About ready to wrap this up. In Psalm 139, it's this beautiful psalm. David is, uh, he talks a lot about, you know, how we're knit together in our mother's womb and where can we go from God's presence. And then he wraps it up with these two verses. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts, what's going on in my head. And see if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Check my heart. Check my thinking. And see if there's any offensive way in me. 
It was just this spring I, I under, began to understand what, what he's actually talking about here. And if you have the King James, you know that it says they're wicked. See if there's any wicked way in me. As I looked into the Hebrew of that, the Hebrew word that is used here is only used two or three times in the Old Testament that I could find. And he's not talking about morality. He's not, he's not saying, see if there's any immorality in me. The word here that's used in the Hebrew means a pain or a wound that in essence has become an idol. How does a pain or a wound become an idol? It's like when everything that I view life through, how I view God, how I view the Word of God, if I've, if I've got a wound or a pain in me that I haven't trusted the Lord with, it becomes an idol because everything that I do in life is viewed through that idol. It's something that's come before God. And so when I read God's word and I've got this deep pain or wound in me that that I haven't allowed Jesus to heal, to take care of, I view the scripture differently. I view you differently. I view God differently. Does that make sense? Yeah, seeing some nods. Pains or wounds that become idols in our lives can often block us, block me from living out of the Spirit, from living out of the truth of who God is and what His Word says. When we begin to submit to the Spirit of Jesus as believers, those those reactions that come out of our wounds and our pains begin to be replaced by the very fruits of who God is. And then, and then, his kingdom begins to come on earth as it is in heaven. As I allow his fruits, his divine influence in me to begin to reflect in my life and have an impact in my marriage and how I relate to other people in the church and how I relate to people I work with how I relate to people I run into at at the minute mark, or how I relate to the person who gives me the fender bender, and on and on and on. How I relate to the person who has different political views than I do. Church, we will be known by our fruit. How am I known? How are you known? By what fruit are you known? Brothers and sisters, don't even try to appear to be what you're not. Don't try to appear to be what you haven't allowed the truth to make you become. You can't fake spirit fruit because they come from Jesus. The more powerful one is coming and he's going to pour out his spirit. So back to John the Baptist for a moment. In John chapter 3, John gives us a good description of maturity when he begins to describe the process of what must happen in his life. He says what? He says, he, Jesus, must become more 
and I must become less. More of Jesus, less of me. Good fruit moves us towards maturity. More of Jesus, more of his spirit, less of me. And that spirit fruit, brothers and sisters, is a seed for multiplication that begins to bring the kingdom of heaven on earth. Back to Song of Songs. Like an apple tree among the trees of the forest is my lover among the young men. I delight to sit in the shade and his fruit is sweet to my taste. He has taken me to the banquet hall and his banner over me is love. Jesus, God, invites us into his banquet hall, into that place of intimacy, into that place of provision and generosity and excess. And over all that, his banner is love, his love for us. I mean, I I think if we would go back and explore the songs that we sang this morning, we sang about everything that I've talked about this morning. Church, let's live in that salvation that we so often talk about, that openness, that freedom, that, that wide open with our, with our countenance open, full of joy and love and long-suffering, kindness. Let's let our fruit shine. Let's, let's be a fruit that is sweet and attractive for the world to see. I just want to close with a, a blessing for you as a church from Psalm 114. Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, who turned the rock into a pool and the hard rock into springs of water. And Lord, and my prayer for you as a church is that those places in our hearts that are hard, I've got some, I'm guessing you've got some, that the presence of God, the presence of the Almighty, the presence of Jesus and his spirit would begin to soften those hard places and that springs of living water would begin to flow forth from Bethel Mennonite Church. I know it already does, but I think there's more. It's that preparing to walk down the aisle and meet Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord, I just pray that as we come together this morning, as, as we've heard your word, as we interact with you, as your presence in us changes us. Lord, that, that those hard places, those wounds, those pains in us that have become idols, that you would soften them, that you would make them uh, soft, just like you said in Ezekiel that I will cleanse you and I will give you a soft heart and I will give you a new spirit. Lord, we, we long as your children to experience those things in, in, in their fullness. And so, Lord, I just pray that as we go throughout the next week that you would just bring to mind those things in us that, that have become idols, that, have, that we've not entrusted to you. 
so that we can experience all of your fullness, all of your salvation, and bear good fruit for you. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.